Good morning, everyone. As many of you know, I recently graduated college, and yeah, exciting. It's exciting. It is. Part of me is like that, and the other half is like, so what's next? Like, what do we do after college? Um, College was awesome. I'm sure many of you guys have experienced it. It was a great experience. Months ago, though, I realized that this day would come, where college would be done, and the next stage of my life would start, the adult life, okay? Whoa. (laughs) Um, My generation has come up with a word to kind of help us out. Um, It's called adulting. I don't know if you've heard of it before. It's called acting like an adult or engaging in activities usually associated with adulthood, often responsible or boring tasks, okay? That is what my generation has come up with, with my next stage of life. And I look in the audience, and I see a lot of people who are doing a great job of adulting, okay? You're doing an awesome, awesome job, and there's tons of things I could learn from you guys. Well, I knew this day was coming, and luckily, we here at River Rock decided to do financial peace. And so I got involved in a small group. I put myself out there, started to learn what Dave Ramsey was talking about with credit and with cash and just with handling your budget. A lot of my group is actually here, so i got to be careful with what I say, um, I'm I'm really excited. That gave me a lot of confidence going forward with with some of the finances that I'll have to be in charge of now that I'm on my own. But there's still more responsibilities out there. There's paying taxes. There's paying bills. There's learning how to cook for the first time. Oh, man, that's going to be a rough one. But these things we have to learn and these responsibilities we have to keep up with and manage. And it's easy from my perspective coming into this new world to be overwhelmed to really just be overwhelmed with all the things that I have to manage. And I think that's one of the struggles with adulthood or adulting is kind of having all these things up in the air that you always don't have control of and you're stressing yourself out that you can't manage everything. But then there's the other side of that. There's the side where you have everything down. You have a great routine. You pay your bills on time, but somehow you kind of lost the meaning of why are you always doing this? Why are you in this field of study? Why are you doing this job? Is it to provide for a family? Is it to provide for a dream of yours? We might lose track on what, what's the main focus of life, whether we're overwhelmed or we're just getting things done. I look ahead of me into my life, what I want to do, and I, I see people that are doing the things that I want to do in the future. And right here in the front row, I look at Charlie Turner, a guy that is a church planner, he's a pastor, he's heavily involved in the community, he's a husband, he's a father. He has this idea to saturate the Austin area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's found his purpose in that little message and in that gospel story. He has found it and he is living it out every single day of his life. Now obviously the stress gets to him because his hairline's a little bit higher than it was when I first started, just a little bit. Uh, not, not many of us can notice, by the way, but the, the stress can still get to us. Even when we know our purpose, even though we know what we're doing in life, it can still get difficult. And so we find ways to help us out. If you were to go to a bookstore, I rarely went there in college, but if you did find your way there, you would find a self-help section in the library or in a bookstore. And those books are geared towards making you a more disciplined person. They think you are the source of all your change and all your productivity. 
but you're also the source of all your problems. You have to fix yourself to keep moving forward. If you're losing your dream in life, it's because you've gotten bogged down with the wrong things and you need to pick up the right things. I don't like reading self-help books. They tell me what to do, and that's not always a great thing. Um, I'm kind of a rebel sometimes. And so what I do instead is I go online and I watch um, my favorite pastors. And I, I listen to their sermons. I take notes over their sermons. But at the same time, I'm kind of left with a list of things to do and things not to do, just like I would if I read self-help books. And if we have a list of things to do and not to do, that's our own list of commandments. And I think we all know by being in church just a couple of Sundays that commandments are really hard to uphold. That being told what to do and being told what to avoid can be very, very difficult. And you can get bogged down in life so easily with those things. And so I didn't want to create for myself a list of commandments because I know I'm not going to be disciplined enough to do them. I'm going to forget a few and it'd just be too difficult and be too stressed out to really accomplish anything. I ended up going to God, and I ended up going to his word to figure out in this new world, in this new chapter of my life, which many of us are in together, all doing different things, but still in the same season of life and in the same culture, what is life all about? Turn with me to James, the book of James, please. Chapter 1. James is the brother of Jesus. Even James, the brother of Jesus, knew Jesus was the Son of God. If you were to think about your siblings right now, I don't think it would be in a divine aspect where they were just incredible people, but yet James knew that even his brother was the Son of God. That's pretty impressive. A guy that grew up with him and saw everything that Jesus did still believed that he was the Son of God. James is writing to, in this this book, he's, he's writing a letter to all the Jewish Christians that he can possibly reach. He's writing to the people that have accepted Jesus into their life, but are coming from a Jewish culture. The Jewish culture at this point believes that Jesus was not the Messiah. They don't believe that he was the one that came to establish a new kingdom. But the people he's writing to are the ones that have accepted him as the Messiah. So he's writing to the people that are doing things that the society and the culture don't agree with, much like we are today. Our beliefs, the things we live for, aren't always what's popular in our culture, in our society. And so he's writing to them to help them out, to give them a little bit of a perspective. Where do we, where do we stand? Where do we sit? Where's our identity? So verse 1 says, James, a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. James labels himself as a bondservant. Now, personally, when I think about my relationship with God, I'm not going to tell everybody that I'm a bondservant. That's not really an attractive flavor of mine. I prefer son or friend or maybe something a little bit more endearing, but he goes all the way to bondservant. It seems pretty appropriate, though. For him calling himself a bondservant, he's telling everyone that he is fully invested in what God has for him. Everything in his life is for God's purposes. Everything that he does, he does it for God. Everything that he brings into his life, he plans for God to use. And everything that he takes away from his life, he hopes that God will remove from his life so it doesn't slow him down anymore. When I was little... My mom, she's here in the audience, so again, I had to be very careful with what I say. 
she would take me to church every single Sunday. We had these green pews that we would come and sit down on, and we were always in the same spot every single Sunday morning. And she would make me sit down, and she would give me this little um, pamphlet, okay? And it always had like a connect-the-dot picture of Jesus holding a child or like blessing some fish, you know, typical Jesus stuff. But I would, I would do those, and I would just focus on what she gave me. But I knew she just wanted me there, so I was hearing God's word. I was hearing what the pastor had to say. Sometimes I would listen, most of the time I wouldn't. She wanted me to go to Sunday school, to be with my peers, to learn about Jesus, to learn about God's word, to learn how to pray. And she did all these things for me to really gain my identity in Christ. I'm a people pleaser by heart. And so when I saw kids a little bit older than me and even my own age start to raise their hand in the middle of a prayer time called the invitation, I was a little intrigued. These kids would raise their hands, and then after the pastor would uh, get done praying, they would walk to the front, and they would shake hands with the pastor, and then all of a sudden they would confess their faith in Jesus Christ, and at the end of the service, they would, everyone would come by and shake their hand. I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. That's something I need to do. So that summer, I, I felt convicted. I felt um, just drawn to Jesus. I knew I wanted Jesus in my life. I knew Jesus was going to be the focus of what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And that summer, I put my hand in the air during a prayer. And before I knew it, I was at the front and everyone was shaking my hand. Just amazed at what had just happened. And if you would have asked me on that day, and even years after, what that meant for me, I would have told you that it was a once-in-a-lifetime commitment, that that was the day I changed my life, that that was the day that Quentin Payton's life was changed forever, and it was. But what I didn't realize was the commitment I was making. James has the right perspective here. He is a bondservant, because it's a daily commitment to be in the kingdom of God. It's a daily commitment to bear your cross. It's a daily surrender. So when he says he's a bondservant, he surrenders everything of who he is, his past, his future, his present. He gives it all to God. And when we surrender everything to God, he gives us the best two commandments we could ever be given. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. Those are the only two commandments we're told to live by, the only two commandments we're pushed to do. But that's difficult. Again, we're in a culture that doesn't always believe that God's real, or they have different, way different views of who God is. I believe our culture is fixated on two things. One, comfort. We love to feel comfortable. We build higher fences. We put in security systems. We lock all our doors at night. We love to feel safe. It goes to our checkbooks. We love to feel safe with our money. We love to put a lot of things in savings. We don't like to make a lot of risks. We love to feel safe. Where it gets really dangerous is when we feel safe in relationships. When we love someone's affection so much, even though they're probably not the person we should have in our life, they're not challenging us to be a better person, but we love to feel safe. Another thing that our culture chases after is pleasure. We have these desires, we have these wants, and sometimes they manipulate our minds to think they're needs, and we chase after them. We chase after these things, and we want them so much, and they end up hurting us. 
And they end, they end up destroying relationships in our lives. And so that's the culture we're living in. And we're told to love God and to love others. But that's really hard. And so what does God ask us to do? What does Jesus ask us to do? He says, put our faith or our trust in Jesus Christ, in a living God. Put our trust in a living God. Our culture wants to tell us that our God is dead, our God does not exist, our God is not present, our God is not working in this world, but he is. And he asks us to just put our trust in him. It's not an easy task. The disciples, the 12 of them, would wake up every morning, see Jesus face to face, and follow him throughout the day. And we're asked to do the same thing, except Jesus is invisible now. What? That's pretty difficult. Not to mention that when we're in this world, we're still stuck here. I can feel things. I can experience things so real to me. But they draw me away from the one I'm supposed to be following. And he tells us, just trust. Just have faith. I will provide. I will sustain you. And we're left with a question. A very important question. Who would you rather become? Would you rather become the person you see yourself becoming or maybe what the world sees you to be? Or would you rather become the person that God wants you to be? Who has a better plan for your life? I make a lot of decisions based on this question. And I think I do most of my avenues of life based on me trying to look good in front of other people. I want to have the best stories to tell people. I want to have the best relationships. I want to just have a great time so I can share that with other people, but also be looked at in a way that makes me feel important. But if I chase after those things, I'm definitely going to get hurt. It's never, ever going to satisfy me. But God states that he has something even better for me even far beyond my imagination. And so James puts himself as a bondservant to chase after what God has for him. All God asks, and Jesus says this, is for a little mustard seed of faith. Start with this mustard seed of faith, the same faith I had when I was eight years old. Throw it out towards God and let him handle it. And he'll give that mustard seed of faith opportunities to grow. These opportunities. Verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So these opportunities that James is talking about, he says that they're trials, that they're tests. We take tests throughout school all the time. They're not meant for us to pass out. They're meant for us to pass if we can. They're going to test something about what we're supposed to be learning. And so when life brings us tests, they're testing us on how much do we truly believe in Jesus. They challenge who God says he is. If God is truly the provider for my family, will he give me enough resources to make me and my family get through the rest of this month? If God is so, so good, then why am I struggling so much in my marriage or raising my kids? If God is truly a good shepherd, where is he leading me? Because I can't see him. Trials come through people, difficult people. They come through objects. They come through circumstances. 
things that we just have to live with, but they show us what we're made of and what God is made of. I think the most difficult test we'll ever have to go through is death. Not our own, but someone close to us. Dealing with the loss of a loved one is without a doubt the biggest test you will ever face when you think about who God is. Is he really good? Many of you know I portrayed Jesus in an Easter pageant, and I got the incredible opportunity to pick 12 disciples. One of those was my best friend, Wes. He is, without a doubt, such a rock for me. This was actually in the middle of the pageant. Um, We had some small talk opportunities, and I think he cracked a joke, and I couldn't hold it in for character purposes. But he is, without a doubt, one of my best friends. And that day was incredible. It was awesome. Three performances. God did incredible things. And afterwards, me, Wes, and another one of my disciples, we went up into a building and we began to uh, get out of our costumes and get all the makeup off. That makeup took forever. Never doing that again. <laughs> again, that wasn't my choice. So that was, that was the school. I know, I know. Um, anyway, when we got done, we were all sitting around and Wes gets this call from his mom. And instantly he starts weeping um, uncontrollably, sitting in his chair. His phone drops from his lap and we don't know what happened. Ten minutes of him weeping and sobbing and crying, he says, my grandpa just passed away. The next two hours we spent in that building with him, weeping with him. We were already beyond exhaustion, emotionally drained from the day. I remember having the worst headache of my life. He ended up leaving us and went into a hallway. And after about 20 minutes, he called out for me. He said, Quentin, come here. So I go and see him in the hallway. And he's standing there, the wall's holding him up. And he says, Quentin, you don't know how bad it hurts. I was like, you're right, I don't. He said his grandfather was the best man he ever knew. Had the best character of any guy he's ever met. And he loved his family. The best father figure he could ever imagine because his father was a terrible representation of what any father should be. He looked up and had a very special relationship with his grandfather. And what killed Wes the most, he looked looked at me dead in the eyes when he said all this, and he said, Quentin, we had an awesome day, an incredible day. God did incredible things. He convicted people. He saved people for eternity. He stirred people's hearts to refresh a relationship with him. But the one person I wanted here in the audience, the one person I knew in my life that didn't know Jesus, the one person I've looked up to my entire life was not there. In fact, he died during our second show. So you tell me, Quentin, how is God good when we do such incredible things for him? We lay out everything. We even wore makeup. And he takes away the most important relationship in my life. I didn't know what to say. I was pretty mad at myself. I didn't know what to think. So I began to hug his neck and just pray. And I asked God, show us that you're good. If you're really as good as you say you are, you better show us. Because it's getting really difficult to really think about that right now. 
the next week, Wes flies up to meet his grandmother. And he's sitting down with his grandmother in New York. And they begin to talk. Weeks ago, before all of this, um, his grandfather got really sick. He didn't tell anyone he had cancer. He was too tough of a guy. And when he got very ill, they lived in a retirement community, and his neighbors came over to visit him every day for lunch. And they happened to be pastors in the local community. And every day, they shared with him the Sunday school stories that they talked about, and even the gospel. Two days before the Easter pageant, two days before his grandfather passed away, his grandfather accepted Christ in his home. When Wes called me, I have never seen more joy out of one person in my life than when he called me that day. You never know what God's doing. (laughs) You never know what he's up to. But he still asks you to have faith in him and trust him. Something that was really incredible, though, which reminds me a lot of what verse 3 says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. When Wes flew up to New York, He had a different mindset. He left on that plane with all the confidence in the world that he was going up there on mission for God. I remember him telling me, there's no way I'm leaving New York without every single one of my family members knowing what Jesus did for them. There's no way. And that endurance that this verse is talking about is not the kind where you just stand right there in front of the world and let it just punch you in the face and in the mouth and you just allow it to hit you and you just hope that you get by. That is not endurance. If you see a person like that on the treadmill, just pull them off. Endurance is standing firm in your faith, moving forward, trusting that God has a hold of your life and that he has a purpose for you. It's standing firm. It's, it's a better word for it is steadfastness. You continue to approach the goal that God gave you, no matter what life, look like, life looks like all around you. Wes showed me two things in the way he went up to New York. One is that faith involves all of who you are. Every ounce of energy you have, that's what faith requires. Faith is not just a spiritual thing. It's not. It's not something where you just pray before meals and come to church on Sunday. Faith is so much more than that. Faith is an emotional connection with God. It's chasing after him with your thoughts. It's living out what he tells you through his word, through your physical actions. There's so much to faith. If you've ever worked out before, you know that's more than just a physical workout. You're mentally telling yourself, I can do another rep. If you've ever been in a relationship before, it's more than an emotional connection. There's a social chemistry. There's a physical touch. Each one of our jobs that we go to five days a week, it's more than just physical labor. It's more than mental creativity. Everything in our life requires more than just one part of who we are. And so why should we limit faith to just a spiritual matter? God plans for faith to be all of who we are and encompass everything that we are so that we can do incredible things. The only way God is really going to make us who he wants us to be is if we understand that faith takes everything that we have. The second thing that I learned with Wes was that you have to let God be God in your life. You have to let God be God in your life. If God is the one that created this world, if he's the one that created you with all your passions, 
with all your interests, with your spouse. If he created your spouse and you guys are together now, you have to trust that he has a plan for you, that he wouldn't just abandon you, that he's going to provide the things that you need, and he's going to provide the tests for you to understand how good and great he is. I think about Moses. Moses ran away from God a lot. Became a shepherd of all things just to get away from what God was doing in his life. And eventually God came to him through a burning bush and told him, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And eventually Moses came before the Red Sea. And he stood before the Red Sea and he could feel his past creeping up on him. He could feel slavery wrapping around his people and the fear of having to go back to Egypt again. And all God said was, raise your staff and I will part the seas. And they walked through on dry ground. And as they got through that Red Sea, all their fear and even their enemy was swept away by the waves when God crashed them together. I think of David. David as a teenager standing before Goliath. Standing before his fellow soldiers with a couple of pebbles and a slingshot. Facing a nine-foot man who has been born and raised to kill. And he stands before Goliath, knowing that it's not going to be his strength, but it's what God's going to do. All he has to do is be courageous. And he picks up his slingshot, slings it straight at Goliath, and Goliath falls to the ground and he slays Goliath in front of everyone. It wasn't who David was that killed Goliath. And it wasn't what David had that killed Goliath. It's what God did through David and with what he had that slayed Goliath. So whatever is in your life, the big trial, the big test, the difficult part of what you're living through right now, whatever your Goliath is, it's not going to be you that's going to get through. It's not going to be what you have that gets through. It's what God's going to do with what you give him that's going to get you through. That little mustard seed that you hold on to, he plans to grow it, to conquer any Goliath that stands in your way. All he asked for you to do is take a step of faith. He even asked his own son to take a step of faith. Jesus crawled up on the cross by himself, got nailed into his hands, and hung up on the cross for hours. And he hung there, and before he left the earth, he looked up to his father and he said, into thy hands I entrust my spirit. He had to trust his dad with his very life. He had to think to himself, all this suffering, all this humiliation has to be for something better. There has to be something good that comes from all this. And as the sin was pressed upon his shoulders, he began to just offer himself up to his God all the more and he just put all his faith in his dad, that he was doing something good, that he had a purpose for this difficult time in his life. There was something good coming from it. There had to be. And he passes away. Three days later, God raises him from the dead, conquering all sin, conquering all death, allowing us to live in freedom. And he seats Jesus as Lord of all creation, right at his right hand. When we trust God, when we take a step of faith, when we persevere through trials, all of a sudden this new door of life opens up. Jesus becomes the Lord of all creation. David becomes the king of the Jews. 
Moses leads his entire people to the promised land. Imagine what God has for you if you persevere. Imagine the life he has for you, for your family. If you take that step of faith, if you persevere through the trial. That's the joy that he talks about in verse 2. Consider it all joy to go through these. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You'll never be perfect on this earth. Sorry. But God will do something in your life. And he'll get you to a point where you may not lack anything. But it's not because of who you are. It's going to be because of the God that you follow. You're going to gain this maturity about yourself. Through all the things you go through, he's going to start to work on your mind. He's going to start to work on your heart. He's going to start to work on your character to be the person that he wants you to be. When you have a good character, God asks you to take a bigger step of faith. When you take a bigger step of faith, you draw closer to God. When you draw closer to God, you understand who you were made to be. And when you understand who you were made to be, you're of greater use to him. And that door opens up to the next chapter of your life. For me, it's adulting. For you, I don't know. But it's far beyond what you can imagine. The last point I'll make is that he asks us to hold on to his promises. And for that, you have to love God. That first commandment that he gives us, you have to chase after him. You have to spend time in the word. It's not just a book. It's not just a book. It changes your life if you let it. If you pray, if you ask God, if you're honest with God with where you're at, all he wants is your mustard seed of faith to start with, and he will grow it. He will. There's three promises I want to leave us with, all from Romans 8. I'm getting all this from just one chapter. There's a vast, vast book called the Bible where he just lays out all these things for us of how much he loves us. And I'm just going to pull from one chapter of what he promises us. One is from verse 11. Verse 11 says that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same spirit, is the same spirit that lives inside of us. So don't ever think that you're ever alone. That's exactly what this world wants you to think, is that you are alone. That's what Satan wants you to think, is you're alone when you go through everything. But the same power, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. The second one is verse 28. And we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. He has a plan for your life. Every single part that you think is difficult about your life, your schedule, your circumstances, your family, whatever is holding you back, he is working these things for the good of you. You may not see it, but he does. And third, comes in verse 38 and 39, where nothing separates us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing, not even death can separate us from his love. You will always be loved by him.
Those are the three promises he makes in just that chapter. And those are the things we have to hold on to when we go through these trials. I don't know what your trial is. I don't know what you're going through. But I know God understands your trial more than you do. And if you need help, he's the one to go to first. Faith is the one thing that I think Charlie holds on to to keep himself going, that I hold on to to keep myself going, that many of the men I know in this room hold on to to keep themselves going. That's the thing that's going to change your life. That's the thing that's going to get you through. That's what life is really all about. No matter what season of life you're in or what culture you live in. I'm proud to be a bond servant of God. I really am. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for all that you've done. I can honestly only imagine the stories that would fill this afternoon if we were to talk about how God has come through for us when we did not see him coming. That there's many stories about loss, there's stories about struggle, there's stories about how you saved us from the grim of death, and yet you still continue to love us. Though we've walked away countless of times, you still stand everywhere for us and stand for us wherever we go. So Lord, let your hand rest upon the people of this room today. Let your hand guide them and protect them with where they go throughout this week. Lord, I pray that you give them a trial this week, that you test them right off the bat after they've heard this message. You hold them accountable to what they've heard this morning, that they wouldn't sit back and let every Sunday morning go by with them just sitting and taking and receiving some word that has been prepared for them, but that you would take this word and grow it in their lives, in their marriages, in their families, and all that they encompass. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son and the commitment you made to us so many years ago. Thank you, God, for your love. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Ask Quentin to go ahead and join me back up here. Where did he go? There he is. Uh, those of you who don't know, Quentin, is, this is his last Sunday with us. He served as our youth director, youth pastor here for the last year and a half. Graduated from University of Mary Harden Baylor, and he's ready to start adulting, as he puts it. Uh, and he is going to serve in full-time Christian ministry down in Tomball, Texas, where he's from. Hometown gets to serve with his, his old youth pastor in a church plant. So he's not leaving. Uh, we're actually sending him out on mission. And uh, whenever someone has served faithfully at River Rock and we have the opportunity to send them out, we like to stone them. Uh, so the stone that we have actually didn't get here on time, but I do have a picture of it. Um, so it didn't make it with all the rains and everything. So we have, don't worry, we'll get it to you. I'll make sure to throw it right through your window. Uh, so this is just something to remember us by. We hope you'll put it up whenever you get in the office. If you're a church planner, then we know it'll be a number of years before you actually have one. Um, but yeah, you can take it with you to the coffee shop, you know, uh, we are just so grateful for the ministry that, that Quentin has had here at River Rock Bible Church, and we're excited about what God is doing in your life, and we can't wait to hear about what he does through you. I'm going to ask Jason Dean, one of our elders, to come up. Uh, any of the elders that are in the room, if you would, 
we're going to come up and we're going to ask Quentin, uh, you'll take a knee and we'll lay hands on you. Not only are we going to stone you, but we're going to lay hands on you too. Uh, so we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you and send you out. And then once we close in prayer, you guys go ahead and come on up. There is cake in the, the next room over. So you guys be sure, make sure you give Quentin a big hug, shake his hand, tell him thank you. He'll be back uh, to visit every once in a while, right? And uh, when you're a big star and you write lots of books, then make sure you remember us, where you all got started. So I'm going to hand it over to Jason Dean. If you guys would bow with me. Father, we are so thankful, um, Lord, for this morning. Um, Just thank you for uh, Quentin Payton and uh, what he has meant um, to this church, um, what he has meant to the youth um, of our church. Uh, we just we pray for him, Father. He goes as he goes out on mission. Uh, Lord, uh, just continue to develop um, his mind, uh, Father. He has a tremendous heart for you, and we just ask that you continue to cultivate that um, so that he can reach hundreds and hundreds um, of lives as he goes. Just to thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, um, for blessing us each and every day. Just watch over Quentin as he goes, uh, Father. Watch over and protect him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.